Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am thrilled to have you here this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and let's just get straight into it. I just returned back from Washington, D.C. for um, about five days. I was I was there for five days and did several things and a few little projects that you will hear about very shortly. But my main reason for going there is that uh, I went to LibertyCon this, uh, this past weekend, and it was quite the experience. This is my second year attending the event. This is also the second year that we have had a show at the conference there in Washington, D.C., formerly the International Students for Liberty Conference. And uh, last year we had a panel there on, on a Students for Liberty panel. Um, this year I want to uh, present to you a fun interview that I conducted with the CEO of Students for Liberty, uh, Wolf Von Lahr. And he is a very interesting individual who has a very interesting uh, story and has, I think, done a fantastic job at running Students for Liberty and, and presenting a fantastic conference. Uh, there are many things that, uh, that have occurred over, over the conference, and I want to present to you the interview, but it is a little bit of a shorter interview, so I, um, I do want to talk with you just a little bit before I... Uh, provide this interview for you. I do want to talk with you just a little bit about some of my uh, some of my reflection on on the conference and on uh, the people that I met and on the ideas that were expressed there as students for liberty. This year, I, I think uh, this year I had a lot more time to really sit back and and just enjoy instead of sort of be overloaded with with what I was to expect. At LibertyCon, like I, I was last year, I, I had never been to a conference, um, one of uh, Students for Liberty's conference until last year, and this year I I got to enjoy it a little bit more. And what was really nice was that uh, this year they really put an emphasis, and I think this is really important. They put an emphasis on the uh, free expression of thought and the diversity of ideas which is, I think, the most important thing they could have emphasized, especially at a time like this. You know, the the big speaker for opening night that uh, was meant to draw a crowd uh, was Dave Rubin, and uh, we've had him here on the program before. Um, I, I ran into him and, and chatted with him for a little bit there at the, at the conference in Washington, and I thought that couldn't be a better uh, individual that they could have speak at the conference for opening session to sort of set the tone of what this conference is supposed to be about. Yes, it's a bunch of libertarians. Yes, it's uh, everyone sort of agrees that, you know, liberty is a good thing and that freedom is a good thing and that rights are to be protected and all these things. But really, when you compare what uh, what occurred over at LibertyCon and compare that with what happened at uh, CPAC, and this is something that we do that myself and Wolf uh, discuss a little bit in, in the interview that you're about to listen to. If you compare those two, they're wildly different, whereas... 
For example, I, I think uh, the the immigration debate at LibertyCon and the discussion on immigration at CPAC is probably the best example of this because obviously many people within the liberty movement and within the the uh, conservative movement have wildly different ideas when it comes to immigration. However, at CPAC, these ideas were booed. These ideas were not not in a productive setting either. I mean, yes, there was a a debate at uh, LibertyCon where there were obviously many people on one side of the camp and many people on the other side of camp and some people even somewhere centered in between. Um, But at CPAC, it was very clear where things stood. Things were not neutral. Things were not... um, expected to be uh, a, a, a open and honest debate. Essentially, the people that they brought on to argue in the pro-open immigration camp were essentially there just to be heckled and, and just to be sort of a punching bag for, for all of those in the audience because they knew the sort of reaction that they were trying to get. CPAC, unfortunately, has been dwindling over the past few years, I believe. And while it is a conference that I do believe I will be returning to um, in in the years to come, maybe not every year, like as, as was the case this year, um, I'm not going to try to go out of my way if something <laughs> if something else occurs or something else pops up. Um, but the the difference there is staggering, and I think that's really important. And this is why I think the Liberty Movement is really gaining traction. It was a little bit down, I believe, this year uh, at LibertyCon compared to last year, but that, I think, wasn't necessarily because the quality was down or because of the experience of last year, but more so to do with the weather. There was uh, tremendous winds that was affecting travel, and many of the people who were trying to come just simply weren't able to make it. But at CPAC, there was a lot of groupthink in that crowd, in that uh, uh, conference, and among the people both on stage and in attendance. This is a very large problem that conservatives are beginning to face. Conservatives used to be the ones, back in 2014, 2015, if you're listening to this and you were there during those glory years that I like to now call CPAC of of that age, um, there was a lot of of ideologies there. It was not one-size-fits-all, Trump uh, all the way, uh, a conservative conference. It was very much, you had, yes, there were a lot, a lot of Rand Paul supporting uh, students at CPAC in 2014, 2015. And I think that gave it a lot of its quality and a lot of its uh, intrigue. But also there were a lot of Ted Cruz supporters. There were a lot of people who were neocons. Um, and while they weren't, you know, those kind of people weren't necessarily there at uh, LibertyCon, um, there, there was at least the acknowledgement that yes, we all here do not have the same ideas. And the best way to address that is not to bring somebody on stage who we all know is going to get hackled and, and just jeered 100%, but bring somebody on stage who can definitively articulate his or her ideas and the perfect example of this is um, is they had a, a capitalism versus socialism debate. And my initial reaction is, who's the poor schmuck that they, they got into uh, d- trying to defend socialism as Students for Liberty Conference? But when I, when I walked in, and, and I was only able to attend this very briefly, um, this debate, but 
when I walked in, I noticed that everyone in the crowd was at least aware that that this i that this ideology existed for good reason, not because that they were stupid, but because uh, that people were just simply misinformed. Instead of booing and 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 trying to discredit the speaker or try to discredit um or the 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 person's intelligence or trying to say that they're not old enough to understand these issues as was as was surprisingly or perhaps unsurprisingly the case at Liberty or uh, CPAC um everyone was for the most part very respectful uh during the debate and if a bunch of libertarians again these are these are libertarians you know the craziest uh, most, uh, most, you know, a bunch of cats, basically, you try, they just go all different directions. If a bunch of libertarians can do that, what does it say about the rest of our politics when the conservatives at CPAC cannot handle dissenting opinion in the same way? Not even handle dissenting opinion in the same way, it, because they weren't in the same way, because at, uh, at LibertyCon, I guarantee you there was not a single socialist in that crowd. And if there were, they would be in the camp of, well, this is voluntary socialism, not about force, uh, which is something I highly disagree with. But it, it's it's something that was dramatically polar opposites. Whereas at CPAC, the range with immigration was much closer. There were a lot of people I know who are conservative individuals who are not entirely sold on build the wall or, or close the border or pro-closed immigration, um, anti-immigrant, anti-amnesty, anti-dreamers or whatever. There was There is a lot of diversity when it comes to an issue such as immigration, yet the conference itself at CPAC um, essentially shunned anybody who could have possibly had those sort of ideas. Yet that's not what happened at LibertyCon. And my main takeaway here that I kind of want to discuss with you, uh, have, have this little opening discussion with you, is that that's the kind of dialogue that we need to be having. That's the kind of, of dialogue that we as liberty lovers need to be having. We cannot shut the people down that just simply disagree with us because they are going to continue to disagree with you if you just shut down and try to jeer them off the stage. We have to come from a place of understanding. That is the only way our ideas are going to spread. We have to come up from a place of understanding, of, of uh, empathy, and of a place where it's not just about the facts and statistics, but a place where they think that we care. and. This is a field where I think we could still use a lot of work on, but I am very optimistic that we have improved dramatically after my experiences uh, at LibertyCon this weekend because that is the big takeaway that I took from it. We are improving on this. We are listening to people. Even if they are incredibly incorrect on everything, like the socialist that <laughs> at at uh, at LibertyCon during the during the capitalism versus socialism debate, even if that is the case, we don't th make them feel like they're a horrible person, or we don't make them think that they don't care. 
In fact, they do care. They just care and, and they separate their heart and their mind. And I, I spoke about unifying your heart and your mind in an article recently for Outset Magazine. You can't separate the two. They're all part of the same body. And when you use them both at the same time in the same fashion and and use the emotion to drive your point home, yet use the logic to, to connect people on, on a logical level, but really uh, nail it home uh, on, on the emotional level, that is when we are the most effective. When we start to tell stories, when we start to care, when we start to, to really reach out and say, I understand that you believe this. You're not a bad person for believing this, but the ideas that you're touting are very, very wrong, and you have to begin to accept that. That's the only way that we can begin to have conversations again. And I believe that is something that actually did happen very effectively at LibertyCon. But for right now, I will uh, shut up for a little bit, and I will let you uh, enjoy this interview, and I'll let uh, I'll let Wolf talk just a little bit more about that. We do discuss a lot of the differences between CPAC and LibertyCon. We discuss the differences um, between the Liberty Movement and other um, similar movements across the world and the global impact of Students for Liberty. It's a very good interview. It's 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 a little shorter just because uh, Wolf is a very busy man, especially during the conference, um, and so we, we only had a limited amount of time, but it's, it's just as good as any of the other ones that we've done here, so please sit back and enjoy my interview with Wolf Von Lair. All right, Wolf, I appreciate you taking your time. Thank you for joining us here on My Liberty today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I want to get into, first of all, before we, we get into uh, LibertyCon, because that's, of course, where we're at, um, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved into the Liberty Movement, and how uh, that transitioned into now your current role as CEO of Students for Liberty? Certainly. Students for Liberty was founded in 2008 here in the United States mm -hmm. by just a bunch of students. They saw the problems on campuses and that there was not really an organization that helps students being organized and present like pro-liberty viewpoints on campuses, which are of course desperately needle, needed like 10 years ago and still today. Since then, uh, they've branched out. And as your audience can tell, I'm not from the United States. I call right. the U.S. Uh, home now. You mean that's not a U.S. accent? No, I, I thought it was a Southern accent for, oh, okay. for a short time, but I think <laughs> I've learned it's, it's not, not the same thing okay <laughs> and uh, in 2011 they branched out for the first time abroad because they saw there was an interest of people from Italy and Germany and other countries and they started the first volunteer executive board and I joined them I applied for it I got accepted and it changed my life it changed my life because it was the organization that showed me that I can produce a lot of value as a young human being. They gave me the training, the resources, and the network to become active. And I've organized events with 300 people, worked with a brilliant team, learned so much, like talking to one another about the ideas. And I realized, hey, I actually can do things. I can <laughs> produce value. And um, that was life-changing for me. And I pursued an academic career afterwards. And so I was not very active in SFL for like one or two years where I was pursuing my PhD, which took four years, but uh, of course. But um, the founder of the organization, Alexander McCobin, wanted me to come back in an academic capacity. And I was thinking a lot about it, but I've realized that I can produce much more value, I think, within the liberty movement compared to like a narrow academic career, publishing papers that nobody gives a shit about. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the growth then of SFL since you have taken over. Um, obviously, this is a massive audience here at LibertyCon this weekend uh, in in Washington, and we have uh, people from all over the world flocking here. Um, what kind of growth have you seen uh, specifically in SFL and in LibertyCon, and how those kind of coincide? Yeah, so LibertyCon is our annual event, and uh, we have rebranded it because it used to be called the International Students for Liberty Conference, which is a mouthful. Right. Um, so we have changed that and uh, also changed it because we are attracting a much broader audience. I mean, right now we are fascinating. Um, debates going on on immigration like there's a Cato scholar talking about like why immigration is good for the United States but then we have the founder of Homeland Security here yeah. who's making his case that it's not beneficial and uh, we feel see civil discourse here and it attracts a much broader audience than students and we have seen that that's the reason why we have changed the name and it also sends a signal to the market of political conferences because we don't want to be an echo chamber. We want to talk to the people on the left, on the right, to libertarians in a civil way and learn from one another. Um, a contrasting example would be what we saw last week at CPAC. Mm -hmm. It seemed very echo chambery. There was, there was a debate on immigration actually and there was a different scholar from the Cato Institute, a friend of mine, uh, David Beer, and he argued very data-driven that immigrants have lower crime rates, that they're net contribu contributors from a tax point of view, not consumers, contributors, and many other points. He did this calmly, but the audience was so hostile and, and like made jokes about his age and said like, oh, you kiddo, you don't know what you're talking about. And uh, we don't want a climate like that. We have such a thing already on US campuses right now and in society writ large, I think we need to do bridge building and discuss these ideas in a civil way because that's the only way we can make other people think and maybe even change their minds. Yeah, and I, I certainly notice the amount of diversity of opinion. Of course, you had uh, David Rubin uh, here uh, this this weekend to, to speak about that, and I think that's a we had him on the program just in the fall, hmm. and uh, and I, I think that's a fantastic way of stirring conversations. Why do you think that? is so absent in so many other organizations because here you have every you know bit of libertarian that you can find here at this at this organization mm. whereas in others it's it's very think the way we think in in other organizations why are so many others so hostile to those ideas do you think that's an interesting question but i realized that before I get to that i didn't answer your second question about the growth of sfl i mm. mean like yes, in, please. in 2008 we had our first conference ever and we had like 100 people there that was the first international students for liberty conference the first yeah. liberty con now uh, 10 years later last year we had 1400 people and the conference is not over now but we will be probably getting close to that even though we had a terrible wind and many people couldn't make it and so that's this conference but this is a fraction of what we do yeah in the first nine years of our existence we have organized close to thousand events um and had like 40,000 attendees this year and we're only 10 months in because our fiscal year is the calendar uh, the, the school year we already had 800 events with close to 40,000 attendees and this is all executed by our students and this takes place in the United States this takes place in Venezuela of all places this takes place in Africa Europe Asia um, all around the world every inhabited continent and these ideas are timeless and borderless and they cross any kind of uh, boundaries and people are interested in them so to answer your question about why other people are so hostile to it, I think our natural tendencies as human beings is, and I used to fall into that trap as well, to surround ourselves just by people that think like us. Mm -hmm. It's comfortable. 
if your ideas are being challenged, just from a psychological point of view, what happens to you? Like, let's say you make a very good argument and I haven't thought about it and I feel you have, I feel like physically attacked, right? right? Because like my ideology is intertwined with my personality. And if you undermine my, my, uh, my intellectual foundation, you undermine me myself. Right. And I feel attacked. And so it's very hard to overcome these feelings, but one has to monitor them and like act against them. And we are just trying to be better than that. I mean, not every student is capable of doing that. And m many of them are young and very passionate, but we are teaching them systematically communication skills and uh, skills about emotional intelligence so that they can tolerate listening to somebody else before like beating them over the head with the vote to serve them. <laughs> <laughs> because that's that comes obviously the most effective way of, of persuading people. Um, so you, you had mentioned kind of uh, SFL's outreach and, and uh, growth um, in the international community. I, I, my next question, I kind of want to break up into two parts. What are some of the uh, biggest challenges you've faced here in the United States with your message of liberty with SFL? And then what are some of the challenges you've faced internationally? Because I imagine some of those, you know, in the United States, we kind of, it's a blessing and a curse. We, some of our issues are not really big issues it's you know first world props or, yeah. or something like that so so kind of break in and separate those those two kind of challenges that you face here in the united states as well as internationally absolutely so in the united states of course our main focus is free speech and like the right to free express yourself and uh the curtailment that we have seen on so many campuses so our students have invested a lot of time and resources on that very problem and again we're trying to build bridges so i was very happy to see how many events our students organized where they invited college college republicans college democrats students for israel black lives matter people that you would normally not find talking to one another and then they realize oh maybe the other person might be wrong <laughs> but they're not evil right and they have reasons for what they believe in and it is a totally different conversation um sitting across the two socialists and looking them in the eye and discussing these issues compared to like yelling on the internet at one another and like shit posting memes or something like that right. and um damn, am i allowed to swear i'm not oh you're sure. fine you're okay, no, good. you're fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't have checked with you first yeah yeah you're fine and so that that is an issue and i think what we need to do more is like to have more events like that because what we face also in the u.s is hostility not only from other students but also from bureaucrats we had students handing out the constitution of the united states of america and they got detained by campus police because it was not in their free speech zone subsequently we sued them with the help of some other universities uh, some other organizations and sued the university successfully so so they got rid of the speech zone so there's many things that that needs to be done but uh, students got spat in the face uh, because they handed on material and uh, things like that happen, but we prepare our students for that uh, as much as we can. But it's, you're right, it's a different environment. But that's the cool thing about us being international. We have a $4 million budget and we, has, we invest mostly in the United States. That's yeah. the primary responsibility. However, the international student stories are really inspiring. If you talk to someone, and uh, he is here, his name is Jorge Brasati, he's now in Florida. He has 100,000 followers on Twitter, 21 years old several videos on Learn Liberty, you should interview him by the way, um, several videos on Learn Liberty and, and other platforms. Like if you talk to him and about his country, Venezuela, mm -hmm. and talk about his friends that are right now imprisoned because they're doing the same fight in Venezuela that he's doing here, and you see the pain, socialism becomes 
different for you. It, it becomes qualitatively different. And liberty means something different for you as well. Because they're fighting for having like toilet paper in, in their supermarkets, for God's sake. And he's fighting the fight now and he cannot go back to his country because he, have, uh, he is so influential that he would be imprisoned immediately. And he's sharing his stories, his experiences of student protests in Venezuela. And that is inspiring to our students. They say like, wow, this is so much more than just like trigger warnings or whatever, yeah. like smaller things are going on campus. People which are, are still important. actually going to, to jail in, in these instances. So what, what has been the most challenging or, or toughest uh, country to sort of have a presence and in, in try to, because I know obviously you want to have a global presence regardless of the country, yeah. um, but that can't always happen uh, as, as we know that there are more authoritarian regimes with, you know, ideas that don't want, they don't want to get out. So what, what uh, has been the biggest uh, challenge for a country to try to get a presence of SFL on? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say Venezuela, we had to like even, we have some funds set apart to help students. So mm -hmm. we had to pull like a female leader out of there because uh, she was threatened by the regime to put into prison because she was asking questions as a journalist and she, they knew that they were, that she was interacting with us as Students for Liberty. And so we pulled her out of there. But then like in some African countries, you cannot use Laboic, you cannot use the same language. You cannot talk about free markets or capitalism. You use like entrepreneurship and you have to adjust on the margin. <laughs> coded. Exactly. Yeah, coded you have to language. adjust on the, on the margin. Right. Uh, Russia has been difficult. We had like a journalist there as well. She got kicked out and uh, she has a hard time organizing anything there. And they're very skeptical about foreign organizations like, like us to get in there. But I think the hardest country so far has been China. Um, because if the Communist Party hates something, it is people being organized, students, think about Tiananmen Square, <laughs> as, as well as like capitalism and ideologies that undermine their record and foreign organizations so for reasons that they dislike us. So um, we have a network there. There are actually many libertarians in China. I've been teaching Austrian economics in China, but psh, don't tell anyone. Um, at the University of Xinjiang once or twice. Yeah. No, yeah. economics. It's sound economics. Right, right. Subjectivism. Right. Um, but I think that's one of the countries where there's, of course, a lot of potential, but we don't really have a strong foot in the door. So, so you, you mentioned China, and um, obviously recently their president uh, made a huge power grab. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that something that, that is a bit frightening to you, as not just as a liberty lover, but, um, but with your influence over SFL and uh, is that something that you worry about about uh, having that crack down anyway? Absolutely um, to give you a different example I mean the China thing is of course on, on the top of my mind but we don't have like so many leaders there as of now I'm, of course I'm concerned about my friends and I know for instance professors right. who had to give up their their professorship because they were affiliated with a libertarian think tank called mm -hmm. UniRule in Beijing I've been speaking there, fantastic institution, but they're putting a lot of pressure on them. They're destroying lives. And that is very, very unfortunate. Uh, but it can also have really effects for us. So in Brazil, I don't know if your audience knows that, but our students were behind, and uh, some other organizations as well, organizing protests with literally 200,000 people and more on the street, having signs up there, more Mises, less marks, and yeah. uh, other slogans that SFL is using. And that's a couple My of years ago. My favorite slogan that, that you've created, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's wonderful to see kids with that shirt. Um, but that has created also some fear within uh, like other countries. So there was at some point like a primetime program on Russian state television mm -hmm. 
warning about students for liberty and how we undermine Russian democracy and Russian values and how we are stewards from like whatever the West or whatever terminology they're using. I don't speak Russian. Right. But you can see that like these sort of despotists um, like talk to one another and sh exchange notes. So we have created huge waves in Brazil and some people were concerned about that. But at the moment it seems all right. Um, normally we are trying to keep students as safe as possible. But often the attitude is, look, I'm doing this with or without you. And I rather have them doing it with us so we can give them like the benefits of our network and international partners sure, that can help sure. them with lawyers yeah. and other help. Um, so uh, you're on a tight schedule, obviously. Um, I'm a very busy man here at, at LibertyCon. So as we start to wind down just a little bit, um, a few, a few, just one more point before we start to close. Um, w last night, we uh, you you discussed about the way that we can talk to people in your in your opening comments of uh, with opening session, um, and how to communicate those ideas of liberty. What do you think um, libertarians can do on a little inward reflection to sharpen their arguments and talk to people to where they don't think we're either crazy or heartless or just a bunch of policy wonks? One thing is, of course, knowing the arguments and understanding the ideas. And most libertarians are pretty good at that. Yeah. The second part is in educating ourselves also how you can get through to people. And I would recommend everyone to read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Just like basic common sense. Like, just imagine, how do you want to be treated by someone who has a different viewpoint? And just reflect that back. You want them to take you seriously. Mm -hmm. they, you want them to understand where you're coming from, like why you're doing this, that you want to help human suffering, that you want to elevate the poor out of uh, their miserable situation with free markets. And you would need to do the same thing with others. So... That would be one part, but the other part is also realizing what happens if you feel attacked and understanding that and that sometimes we don't have the answers to everything. And it's totally fine to say, I don't know, I have to think about that and thank the other person. So making a conscious shift of focus away from debating as like attack, war, we have to like, I have to change his or her mind right now to something that is more about maybe I can see this as an opportunity to learn something from somebody else. And if they see that you're genuine, you care, you have some good arguments, but you also listen to them, they will respect you, and it's more likely that they will not say that's a stupid libertarian. Right. So let's, uh, let's begin to wind down a little bit, and um, I, I want to go through sort of a lightning round of questions. Okay. Um, you don't have to keep your answers short, but I'll just keep the ball rolling, as it were. Sounds good. Um, so who has influenced you the most in your ideology and... Um, I guess, in completing that journey to a libertarian thought. Ludwig von Mises, his work on socialism, understanding really why the system can fundamentally not work on a logical and empirical level. Yeah. Uh, Hayek on complex order, law, and then um, Eleanor Ostrom, who is the first female winner of the Nobel Prize in economics and her work on uh, common pool problems. Um, what uh, what book has influenced you the most and uh, would you recommend to, to people if, if they want to learn more about the ideas of liberty? Well, that's always a tough question because it really depends on like what the other person is is uh, cares about. Yeah, what, I think what stage in yes. their ideological growth they're at. Yeah, I think like always good examples is uh, Frederick Bastiat, The Law, is always mm -hmm. like a good primer. Um, 
it's maybe like a little bit tough, but the first two books of law, legislation, and liberty. But uh, I'm like more of the like I used to be academic and I'm recovering, so maybe I don't want to throw that at people. <laughs> a recovering academic. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so these would be like two two works that come to mind. Okay. And where can people find you as well as SFL on social media and online? And I want to make sure that you get all those. Uh, sites plugged in there. Well, Caleb, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, people can find out more about the organization and how they can get involved and attend our events at www.studentsforliberty.org. If they feel so inclined to support our work, it would be sfldonate.org. And uh, we are very frugal. I'm German. I like efficiency, so we <laughs> don't waste any any resources. Um, uh, and then if they wanted to find out more about, the, about me, they can do that, but that's less important. More about the organization and uh, the work that we are doing for the Ideas of Liberty on campuses around the world. Sounds great. Thank you. Wolf, I've had a pleasure having you on the program, and um, you should come back on sometime. Absolutely. Keep up the good work. I enjoyed this. All right, that's going to do it for this week here on the program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Wolf, and I hope that you are enjoying this program as a whole. We have a lot of things uh, prepared for you in the near future. Next week, we are going to be um, interviewing Jennifer Grossman from the Atlas Society, and we'll be talking about Ayn Rand and objectivism and a whole lot of juicy stuff that I think will be very fun to get into. Um, so please tune back in next week for uh, the next episode of Mill Liberty. Be sure to follow me at Caleb France. Be sure to follow the show at Mill Liberty on Twitter. Uh, and subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an episode or an update. And that way you can give us a five-star rating or any star, but preferably five. Uh, and a review so that way we know that we're doing a great job and we can keep the content coming to you. And of course, if you support this content that we are creating, please consider supporting us on Patreon because every bit of support that you give us will go back to either uh, this show or many of the other projects that we have going on at Outset Network currently. So once again, thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for my interview with Jennifer Grossman. We have a lot of things lined up for you that I know you're just going to love and you can share with all your favorite liberty-loving individuals and maybe some that are not liberty-loving. And of course, until next week, we'll see you.